Tomorrow night, well, tomorrow actually is Martin Luther King Day, and it's a holiday for many people. So uh, some of you have it off, some of you don't, but uh, it is a is a day to to celebrate a leader who um, believed in nonviolence, and so we celebrate that. Before we begin the message, let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you this morning that you have brought us into the house of the Lord. As David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And we're here today to hear the word of God, not to hear me, Lord. And we pray that you would speak through your word in a very clear and distinct and encouraging manner. Challenge us where we need challenging and encourage us where we need encouragement, Lord. We just pray you'll build us up in the faith. And we pray, Lord, that you will indeed hide me behind the cross and speak through uh, your, your word today, and may it have its desired effect. We just commit this time to you now and thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. One day, a medical doctor by the name of John was traveling by a commercial flight over the Atlantic Ocean when a teenage boy all of a sudden nearly lost consciousness. The boy's mother was in a panic. She didn't know what to do. And the passengers on board also didn't know how they could help this young man. And then the flight attendant finally called, is there a doctor in the house? Or as it were, on the plane. Rudy would sympathize with that. Have you ever been called, Rudy? Uh, Yes, he's been called many times, I'm sure. Whether it's on an airplane or maybe twice. Okay, twice is good. And wherever he goes, there's always a need for a doctor. And sometimes by having a doctor on the scene, it can save the person's life. It's amazing. And so this this man, John, came forward to help. John quickly ascertained that the boy was dehydrated and needed some orange juice. So he drank the orange juice and miraculously this young man started to recover in a very short time. So it proved that by having a doctor on board coming to visit that young man, as it were, saved his life. Maybe it saved his life. Maybe it saved him from having a major complication as a result of the dehydration. You know, we as human beings living here on earth had a marvelous thing happen when Jesus came to visit our planet. He came to visit earth. He came down as the creator to visit his creatures, to heal, to teach, to show us the Father, but most of all, to go to the cross and die for us on the cross for our sin, to give us eternal life. The title of our message today is God Visits His People. It's a term that's used many times in Scripture, and it's such a blessed term when you think about it. That God in His infinite love and mercy and kindness would want to come and visit you. He wants to come and visit me. He wants to come over to our home. He wants to visit with us and encourage us and build us up. We live in a very fast-paced society. We live in in a world that's full of corruption and evil, full of pain and suffering. And we need the Lord now maybe more than ever before. And He wants to come and visit us individually and personally and encourage our hearts. Our text today is found in Psalm 17 and verse 3, 
where David is speaking in the Psalms and he says this, You have tested my heart. You have visited me in the night. You have tried me and have found nothing. I have purpose that my mouth shall not transgress. May God bless the reading of His Word to our hearts today. You know, David was a shepherd. He spent many nights out in the flock, with the flocks in the cold nights of Israel. And when he was in those situations where things were troubling him, Saul was persecuting him and pursuing him to put him to death. And later on, his own son Absalom. And David went through many trials and much affliction and much suffering. And he found the Lord to be his solace, his comfort. And many of the Psalms have blessed us with comfort and encouragement because of what David went through. But I like how he says, you have visited me in the night. In the night hours when everybody else is sleeping, when everything is still and quiet in the night, the Lord oftentimes comes and visits us to encourage us and to comfort us and to build us up in our faith. And the kind of visit that we're talking about is threefold that we're going to look at briefly this morning. Number one, when the Lord visits, it's a personal visit. It's a personal visit. Secondly, it's a private visit. It's between us and the Lord. And third, it's a perfect visit because when the perfect visitor, the Lord Jesus Christ, comes to visit you, it's got to be nothing but a perfect visit. And when we get finished with that visit, oftentimes we're like those two on the road to Emmaus that said, did not our hearts burn within us while He talked with us along the way? While He opened to us the Scriptures? And that's what He does when He visits His people. He speaks to us personally in a still small voice and directs us what He wants us to do, where He wants us to go, what His will is for us, and gives us that encouragement to keep going in the Christian life. A man named Richard Tao defined the word visitation, the term visitation of God as this. He says, when God comes on the scene with a specific purpose in mind to help his people. A specific purpose in mind to help his people. You know, all of us like to have visitors come over, don't we? And when they come over, we like them to sit a while and have a cup of coffee with us or have a meal with us and have fellowship with us. Now, if you have someone over like that, they're loving, they're kind, you, you have them over to their home, to your home, they're appreciative, they're respectful, you want to have them stay longer, right? Stay longer, stay longer. But then if you get somebody in the house that's not appreciative, and kind of cantankerous and, and kind of gives you a hard time, you say, I want this person to leave early, right? We don't want a visit from that person. We might not invite them over again because of that. But when it comes to Jesus, He is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He loves us and yet He knows all about us. He knows our past. He knows what we've done. He knows our failures and our mistakes. He knows all about our sins. He knows all about what we're going through. And He wants to visit us. He wants to come and visit us and encourage us in His Word and in prayer. And He wants to make a personal visit. 
In the book of Genesis chapter 15, the Lord visited Abraham and Sarah and promised to give them a son. And He said in verse 15, Genesis 15.4, He says, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, This one shall not be your heir. And who he was talking about here is Eliezer of Damascus. He was his chief servant. He said, this one's not going to be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Now, sadly, instead of waiting for God's timing for them to have a son in God's will, they went out and went outside God's will and Sarah gave her maid Hagar And they had a son, Ishmael, and the two sides between the Jews and the Arabs have been at war and battling ever since because they went outside God's will and did it their way instead of doing it God's way. But later on, God was patient with them and he appears to them again in the 18th chapter of Genesis in the first 15 verses and he reiterates to them there what he's going to do. He says, Then the Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees of Mamre and he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So he lifted his eyes and looked and behold, three men were standing by him and when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed down to the ground. We know one of those was the Lord Jesus Christ in his pre-incarnate form and the other two were angels and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. After that, you may pass by inasmuch as you have come to your servant. They said, Do as you have said. And so Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, Quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal. Knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf and gave it to the young man and he hastened to prepare it. So he took butter and milk and the calf which he had prepared and set it before them and he stood by them under the tree as they ate. Then they said to him, Where is Sarah your wife? So he said, here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself saying, after I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also. And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh, saying, shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Verse 15, but Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh. For she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. Now, before we blame Sarah, although she did laugh, before we blame her too much, if you look back earlier in the scripture, it says not only did Abraham laugh, but he laughed out loud. 
And not only did he laugh out loud, but it was a belly laugh. He fell down on the ground laughing when God told him that he was going to be a father at his advanced age. And Sarah was going to be a mother at her advanced age. God was going to do a miracle for them. He was going to do something very, very special. And then when you turn to Genesis 21 and verses 1 and 2, you see how God completed the miracle. And it says, And the Lord visited Sarah, as he said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. God fulfills his promises. May God bless the reading of his word to us in this section. You know, and then fast forward. Not only did God do a miracle for Sarah, and not only did he visit her and come to her and allow her to give birth, but he did the same thing for Hannah. Remember, Hannah was barren and she didn't have any children and she felt so bad. And one day she went to the temple which was actually the tabernacle in those days. The temple had not yet been built. And she prayed and Eli the priest was there and he thought she was drunk because her lips were moving, but there was no words coming. And so when he confronted her with that, she says, No, my Lord, I am a woman that is distressed in spirit. And she presented her petition there before the Lord. And Eli said, You'll have your petition. He could see that she was serious, that she was crushed in spirit. It was really troubling her. And then it says in 1 Samuel 2.21, these words, And the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the child Samuel grew before the Lord. You know, God honors those who honor him. It's really true. And because she committed Samuel to the Lord, and it says in Scripture, in some version, she lent him to the Lord and she brought him back to Eli and as a little tiny boy. And he grew up in the, temp, in the tabernacle there. And he grew up to serve the Lord as three things. He was a prophet, he was a priest, and he was a judge. And he was a great man of God, all because... She prayed, the Lord honored her prayer, and the Lord visited her and did a great thing in her life. And when God wants to visit us, we should be willing to listen to what he has to tell us and to do what he wants us to do. You know, we're assured, we're assured in the New Testament that he will never leave us nor forsake us. He will be with us to the end of the age. So how is it, we ask ourselves, that God visits us if he's always with us? Well, the answer to it is simply that when he visits us, he speaks to us in a special way at that time for a special purpose to show his will and to challenge us in our lives. It's a visit. He comes to visit. Reminds me of the story of Jesus when he was there in the little town of Nain, N-A-I-N. And as he was in that town, he saw a funeral procession coming by. And he saw that there was a widow. And this widow had a son, her only son, and he was dead. And he was in the casket. And in those days, they had an open casket. And as they walked through the streets of that little town of Nain, people were crying. The widow was distraught. She lost her only son. And Jesus said, stop. Stop! And so they stopped the procession. And Jesus reached out and touched that coffin. 
and raised that young boy from the dead. I don't know how old he was. He could have been older or younger. We don't know what his age was. But he stopped the procession, stopped everything, visited that widow at that time, visited that young man who was dead and raised him from the dead and presented him back to his mother again. Yes, Jesus visited the town of Nain and he did a miracle by raising the widow's son. And when Jesus visits any town, any place, any home, any life, he changes it for the good. He changes it for the better. He changes it for the best. And when our Lord came, he came into this world to to change our lives, to save us from sins, to give us eternal life. It says in Luke chapter 7 and verse 16, uh, after all these events had happened in Nain, it says this, it says, Then fear came upon all. They glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited His people. And this report went out through all Judea, and surrounding region. Notice that phrase, and God has visited His people. Jesus is the best visitor. You know, you think about that movie that came out, well, quite a few years ago, E.T. Well, E.T. was an extraterrestrial being that came down to visit this earth. And he got to know this family and so forth. We see the, know the story and everything like that. But there was something greater, someone greater than any E.T. or extraterrestrial being or any other creature. Jesus came down as God manifested in human flesh. That is an amazing thing. He came down to visit us, to save us and to come into our life and be our Lord and Savior. And the Lord is so good. Luke chapter one and verse 68, we have Zacharias speaking And he speaks these words. He said, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people. And that's exactly what Jesus did. And in verse 78 of the same chapter, it says, Through the tender mercy of God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us. Now that term day spring is only used this one time in all of Scripture. And it's one of the titles of the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he is the day spring. And He came to visit us from on high. And we're so thankful that He did. Can you imagine what this world would be like? As bad as it is now. As sinful and corrupt and evil as people are and the world has become. Can you imagine if Jesus had not visited this world? If He had not come down? If He had not died on the cross? All of us would be lost. Every single person. We'd have no hope. We'd have no life. We'd have no peace. But He did come. And He came to carry our sins away and die for us. And when the Lord visits us, He comes bearing gifts. He doesn't come empty-handed. And when the Lord comes down to visit us, He brings us some gifts. And I wrote down six gifts that the Lord can bring to us in our time of need. He can bring encouragement when we're discouraged. When we're discouraged, He comes to bring encouragement. Second gift He brings is comfort. When we're sorrowful, 
when we're feeling uh, the, the weeping and the sorrow of losing a loved one or something like that, the Lord is there to comfort us. And in the Old Testament, they had a phrase called the balm of Gilead. And that balm of Gilead would bring great comfort and peace and hope to the people. The third one is peace. When our lives are filled with anxiety and filled with worry and full of trouble, the Lord comes with the gift of peace. He says, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you? He gives us peace. Also, he gives us hope. When all hope is gone, he is our hope. It says when Paul was shipwrecked and he was on the ship with 276 passengers aboard and they had that terrible storm that hit at sea, it says in the scripture there in the book of Acts, all hope was gradually lost. They lost hope. And that's the one thing. If you lose your hope, you're in trouble. You can lose anything else, but don't lose hope. And that's why the Lord comes to bring us hope. Recently, we heard of the passing of Tony Evans' wife, who is 70 years old, and she went home to be with the Lord. And then recently, her daughter, she had a daughter, and her daughter has been recently diagnosed with uh, cancer. So, can you imagine, he's gone, he just lost his wife, and now he's got the, the stepdaughter. And sometimes these, these trials, they come on top of us. They pile on top of us. And we don't know where to turn. And the Lord comes with hope. He says, I'm your hope. He's the God of hope. He gives us hope as a gift. The other thing the Lord comes with is joy. Sometimes we're sad. Sometimes we just can't cheer ourselves up. We don't know where to go, what to turn to. And the Lord comes and brings us joy. And then, of course, the sixth gift, which is, I think, the greatest and most beautiful gift that God could ever give and has ever given, is the gift of love. Not love like the world gives, like, I'll love you if you love me. I'll give you this if you give me that. Tit for tat and so forth. But God's love is unconditional. It's eternal. It's not dependent on our performance or behavior. It's a love that God has for us. So when He comes to visit you, He comes bearing gifts. Encouragement, comfort, peace, hope, joy, and love. And after Jesus leaves, the fragrance of His calling, the fragrance of His visit will stay with us for a long time. It's a blessing. Reminds me of the story of Naomi in the Old Testament and remember how she and her husband, uh, they were living in, in Bethlehem and they were experiencing a great famine in that area at that time. So instead of praying for the Lord to provide and instead of staying where they were in the sight of the will of God, where the other Israelites were, they said, we got to move. We got to move. We got to leave. We got to move lock, stock and barrel. So she and her husband packed up and they moved from Israel to Moab. Now, Moab was not a friendly country to Israel. In fact, they were the enemies of Israel and they went there to live. And as time went by, uh, Naomi and, and her husband, they had two sons. And these two sons married two daughters and became their daughters-in-law. We know the story. And both the sons died also. 
and everything was lost and Naomi was so down, so discouraged. But this is what she heard as it says in Ruth chapter 1 and verse 6. It says, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. She heard. She heard. And of course, the news couldn't go out over the internet or TV or radio. They had to hear it word of mouth. So maybe somebody had, had visited there and told them, Hey, Naomi, guess what? The Lord provided us bread back, back home. He, he did a miracle. And now we have plenty to eat. And so she said, Come on, girls, let's go. But as we know the story, only Ruth went. The other daughter-in-law stayed there among her people. But Ruth clung to Naomi and they went back. And God blessed Ruth with a husband and with a son and Naomi with a grandson. And all the blessings of heaven came because she repented and she went back to where she should have been before, back to Bethlehem, back to the place where they were and back to where Jesus was born many years later. You know, the Lord sometimes has to visit us when we've been bad too. If we do something wrong, if we get outside God's will, He doesn't want that. So He comes to visit us. He knocks on our door and says, Dean, do you remember what you said yesterday? Or do you remember what you said to that person? Do you remember what you did here in this situation? You need to repent. You need to get that right. You need to go to them and settle it. You need to ask God to forgive you. And he does it. It reminds us of the stories in Scripture where God came and visited these people. Remember where God visited Jonah? He visited him in the belly of the great fish. And he caused Jonah to repent of his disobedience and running away from God and the ministry God called him to. And he visited him in the great fish. God will visit you anywhere you are. And if you're outside the Lord's will, he'll go to visit you there and bring you back. That's exactly what he did with Peter too. Peter had denied him how many times? Three times. The Lord could have said, well, we're done with Peter. Peter, mm -mm, nope, can't use you, Peter. Sorry, you blew it. The Lord says you blew it, but I can still use you. If you come and you repent, God can still use you. And he still used David, even after David's terrible double sin of adultery and murder. God forgave him, sent the prophet Nathan as a visit to David and won him back to the Lord, caused him to repent and get right with the Lord. And so, whatever God does, He does for a good reason in our lives, when He visits us in our lives. In Job, we see how the Lord mentions this in Job chapter 2 and verses 11 through 13. And here it says, Now when Job's friends heard of all this adversity that had come upon him, each one came from his own place. Now, they came to visit Job. And they weren't very good visitors. And they were even worse counselors and even worse comforters when they came to Job. It says there was Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shunite, and Zophar, the Naamite. For they had made an appointment together to come and mourn with him and to comfort him. They started off with good intentions. 
And when they raised their eyes from afar, they did not recognize him. They lifted their voices and they wept. And each one tore his robe and sprinkled dust on his head toward heaven. So they sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights and no one spoke a word to him for they saw that his grief was very great. They came to visit Job. Perfect example. This is not the kind of visitation you want to have with somebody because they started off great. They sat down with him. They empathized with him. They sympathized with him. They said nothing. Everything was fine until... And I can't really blame them that much at the beginning because Job was actually the one who spoke first in chapter 3. But what they did wrong was they confronted Job. They said, you're guilty of sinning against God. You're not right with God. You, nothing like this would ever happen to a godly person. And we know the story and how in the end God revealed himself and he told Job to pray for his three friends. And that they would repent and and they did. And it turned out to be a happy ending. And God gave Job more than he had in the beginning. But these visitors, these comforters, didn't do the job they were supposed to do. But the Lord Jesus Christ is the best comforter. He's the best visitor. He's the best one to encourage us in our lives. A man named J.C. Miller said that the best thing to do if you ever go to visit the sick, and we should be those who do visit people in need. He said, always have tenderness, sympathy in people's weakness and pain, and go with the heart of a brother or sister. Be brief in your visit with your words and always leave with a brief pair. Adel taught me that years ago. You cannot go to the hospital and visit people for like 40 minutes, an hour, two hours. It doesn't work. You'll wear out the person. Go there for a brief visit. Always be brief. Always be encouraging. We went to visit Bill when he had his surgery and we were all in the room there and and we were praying for him and then we watched him go in and they wheeled him in. And, of course, they decided they couldn't do that one type of surgery. They have to do a different one and so forth. But, you know, it's so encouraging when you go through surgery to have brothers and sisters there to comfort you and encourage you. It amazes the hospital staff sometimes when we have so many that go there that love us, that care for us and want to pray for us. It's a blessing. In the the book of James, chapter 1 and verse 27, it tells us, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So God makes a personal visit to us and he makes a private visit to us as well. You know, the Lord, when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, is not going to do it out in the open in front of everybody. He's not going to tell the whole thing. He's going to do it personally and he's going to do it privately just between the Lord and us. And the things that we did to serve him in faithfulness with a good motive, he's going to reward us with crowns and we're going to lay them down at his feet. And anything that we did that was not good, anything that we did was with a bad motive or anything like this, it'll be burned up, but we will be saved and we will lose out on the rewards. We want to be those who win the rewards by serving the Lord.
faithfully. And then the third thing about visit is that it's a perfect visit because the perfect visitor has come. Can you imagine if someone said to you today, you got a call on the phone and said, the president wants to come over and visit you at your house. Oh boy, can you imagine? Oh boy, we got to cook the best meal. We've got to get the house clean. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. We've got to make everything perfect because the president is coming. But there's someone greater than the president. There's someone greater than the king or the queen in this world. It's Jesus Christ, our Lord. And He is with us in our lives. And when He comes to visit, it's a perfect visit. But there's an old proverb, French proverb that says, God visits us, but most of the time we are not home. That's sad, isn't it? God visits us, but most of the time we're not home. When God's caller ID comes through, we don't answer the phone. When he comes knocking at the door, we don't answer the door. We're afraid. The Lord doesn't want to come to judge us, as we said. He comes to love us and He wants to have a visit with us. He wants to have a communion with us. Like that little book that was written years ago called My Heart, Christ's Home. That The Lord wanted to spend time with that man every day. And so in the morning, He'd meet with the Lord in the study. And then if there was a day where the man didn't have time, the Lord was still in the study. He's still there. He's still there when we're busy. When we run out of the house without spending time with Him in prayer and His Word. It makes Him sad. But He's there. He'll always show up. He'll always visit us. He'll always come through. Even if we don't. You know, if God used technology, He could send us a text. He could send us an email. He could send us a Facebook post. Or Twitter. He could use anything if He wanted to. But God loves to have a personal connection with each one of us. And He knows our name. He knows everything about us and He loves us. There's a TV show and I've never watched it, but I've seen it advertised and the title of it is God Friended Me. God Friended Me. And in the story, that's what happened. Well, you know what? God friended you. He friended me. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. He calls us his friends. And when you have a friend who you love very much, you want them to visit you. You want them to come over. You want to spend time with them because they love you and you love them. And Jesus is the best friend anyone could have. He'll always be there for us. He'll have our back. He'll never talk behind our back. He'll never throw us under the bus. He'll never uh, leave us in our time of need. He'll always be there for us. And it's so true. You know, when you go to someone's house and you give them a, a home, home warming gift, right? A housewarming gift. We've all heard of that, right? So you go over and you bring the housewarming gift. Well, when Jesus comes, He doesn't bring a, a housewarming gift. He brings a heart-warming gift. And that's the blessing when we meet with Jesus. I found a beautiful song and it's found in our hymn book. We have never sung it before, but it says this. It's entitled, Just When I Need Him Most. Listen to the words of this song. 
Just when I need him, Jesus is near. Just when I falter, just when I fear. Ready to help me, ready to cheer, just when I need him most. Just when I need him, Jesus is true. Never forsaking all the way through. And sometimes we deserve to be forsaken, but he never does. Giving for burdens, pleasures anew, just when I need him most. Just when I need him, Jesus is strong, bearing my burdens all the day long, for all my sorrow, giving a song, just when I need him most. Mm, it's beautiful. And then it says, just when I need him, he is my all, answering when upon him I call, tenderly watching, lest I should fall, just when I need him most. And then the chorus says, just when I need him most, just when I need him most, that's when he comes. Jesus is near to comfort and cheer just when I need him most. We love that story, the footprints. And if you don't have a copy of it, I recommend you get it. Put it on your wall, put it in your office, put it in your bedroom, wherever you want. It's such a beautiful story. And when we need the Lord the most, He's there for us to carry us over the roughest places in life. So let's remember today the Lord visits us in our times of need with a personal visit, with a private visit, and with a perfect visit. He brings us encouragement and comfort and hope and peace and joy and love. He's there for us when we do well. He's there for us when we don't do well. He doesn't love you any more when you fail. He doesn't love you any less. He loves us all the time, consistently. He's the Son of God, God in the flesh. And He comes to love us and to visit us. I have a little plaque and I'll end with this in my home and I've had it for many, many years. And the plaque says this, Christ is the head of this house, the unseen guest at every meal, the silent listener to every conversation. Question, is he welcome in your home? Question, is he welcome in your heart? If you're here today and you've never received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, he wants to forgive your sins. He wants you to repent of your sins. He wants you to turn back to him and ask him to forgive you. He wants to come into your life and be your Lord and Savior. He wants to visit you and encourage you all along life's way. How do people live without Jesus? How do people get by? They survive, but they don't thrive. We can only thrive with Jesus. May He be welcome in our hearts today. Shall we just close in prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for your visitation to this earth in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he came to save us, die for us on the cross so that we can have eternal life and be with you forever. Lord, we just pray that you would visit us in our times of need with comfort and hope and encouragement and all the gifts and blessings that we need. And Lord, if we stray, that you'll visit us at that time too and point us back to the right way, to the right path so that we can be back in your will again. Lord, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' precious name, amen.